Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Bring it on! This is 1500 ESPN. couple tweets here, interesting tweets from uh, people listening this morning. Matthew Collar is hanging out with us. Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. Check out his work. JD says, you know who feels our pain? Eagles fans. No championships in the Super Bowl era. One Super Bowl loss in the McNabb era with a ton of consecutive conference championship games. Sunday is Cinderella versus Cinderella. Not even mentioning the quarterbacks, who are also Cinderella's. Um, you guys ever seen the meme on social media where Spider-Man is looking at Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's the perfect meme for this game of one team just looking in the mirror. One organization that was good for a long time and very relevant and always in NFC Championship games, but always tended to have things go wrong. Uh, they're on their backup quarterback. The starting quarterback is hurt. The defensive line is unbelievable for both of these teams. The weapons are really good on offense. It, I mean, I think that the Vikings have the overall stronger roster, but these two teams are extremely similar in many ways. I think that's a good point by the person who tweeted you. What uh, do we make now of Nick Foles, what, four starts in? Uh, 30% of Nick Foles' passing yards were air yards, meaning that everyone had to catch the ball and run after catch, (laughs) which is basically what Case Keenum has done all year. So any success that Nick Foles is going to have is going to be based on his supporting cast. I'm going to have to say every time, I'm actually talking about the Eagles here. I'm actually talking about the Vikings because you could say the same thing for... For, for both of these teams, every once in a while, Nick Foles will make the worst throw you've ever seen, and you just rip your hair out. And every once in a while, Nick Foles will make a great throw, and you'll say, who just did that? And, and that's the same thing with Case Keenum. I, I think that Keenum is a better quarterback, but the edge is not huge. Uh, probably the edge in wide receivers is a, is a little bit there, but Philadelphia has decent receivers, probably has a better running game. Definitely has a better offensive line at this point than the Vikings do with the Vikings being all shuffled. But but I thought the line held up pretty well against the Saints. Uh, so Nick Foles has is, is got a lot of people around him to help him in this game. And if the Vikings allow the Eagles to run, um, then they're going to be in trouble because he. it's not like he's completely inept. He's just not a great quarterback, but he showed against the Falcons that he can make some plays. Yeah, I think, you know, the... 
this doesn't guarantee Vikings victory, but really the Saints brought so many things to the to the Vikings in that game. First of all, they brought a Hall of Fame quarterback who was absolutely unstoppable in the second half. He was like 17 of 22 and had three touchdowns, no interceptions, a bunch of yards, and they just found a way to adjust against a really, really good Vikings defense. The Saints bring weapons. They bring a running game. They bring a pass rush. They brought all these things in waves, especially in the second half, and the Vikings found a way to narrowly escape with a win. I think the only thing the Eagles bring that the Saints didn't bring, and it's an important thing, is home field advantage. Um, I mean, that's why the Vikings are favored on the road by three points. The people in Vegas are are looking at that game and saying, yeah, the Vikings on a neutral field are probably like you know close to a touchdown favorite and give give the Eagles some credit for home field event. Now, that doesn't guarantee the Vikings are going to win, and the letdown factor is going to be interesting. Can you get back up to 100% mm-hmm. and not settle in at like 80%? Uh, by the way, I just pulled up Nick Foles' stats from the Atlanta game. Tell me if this sounds exactly like a Case Keenum line. 23 for 30, 246 yards, only sacked once, 100 quarterback rating. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's, yeah like, it's very that, close. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, With this team, I wouldn't have so much worry about the letdown factor. I mean, it really stuck out to me that in the locker room, Harrison Smith was already telling me he was on to Philadelphia. <laughs> and then Mike Zimmer started his press conference yesterday. And you've got Peter King in the house. Right, so Peter King is there for Mike Zimmer's press conference. This is yesterday, and, right? Yeah, yeah. And so like national people are there already for this, and all they want to hear is Zimmer talk again about the the play. And he opens his press conference by shredding the team with all the mistakes they made in the second half. Yeah. And he wanted to make it quite clear that he was moving on to Philadelphia. And there aren't guys who are happy to be here in this spot. Every one of these guys expected to be in this spot. And and they won they won by a miracle, but Stefan Diggs wouldn't even talk yesterday. He said, I talked about it last night, I'm moving on. And and you know, other other guys still would, but I think that the mentality of the core players of this team is very much, yeah, well, okay, it took a miracle to get here, but we expected to be in the NFC title game. And even Terrence Newman, I remember way back in March when he resigned, he said, I would not have come back. No way. At my age, I've made a few dollars in my day. There's no way I would come back and abuse my body like this again if I didn't believe we could win a ring. So this team has thought that they deserve to be here all year long. They're not one of those like, yeah, we got a miracle. Yeah, we're here. Good for us. And if we lose the next game, oh, well, we gave our fans a great moment. That is not the mentality of this team. The thing that's nice is is they they got that, but when you cons- consider the trifecta of things that went wrong and they still won, when you consider that, that you've got your missed field goal at the end of the first half, you got your Keenum pick that we talked about all last week. My God, if he throws that ball, it's a problem. He did. It got picked. Uh, you got your block punt. I didn't even see that coming. Yeah. And despite that fact, you, you still won. I mean, that's where, that's where if you are a Viking supporter, you start to think it might be different because it's not like things went right. It's not like you, you were blanking them at the half and then you gave up a late touchdown and it's no big deal. The nice thing about this is you had your trifecta of things go wrong, and you still won. It reminds me a little bit of 2015 when the Broncos ended up in the Super Bowl where the Patriots kicker missed an extra point, and he had never missed an extra point before. Right? Wasn't that the first year that they moved the extra point back, and he had hit all of them all year, and then he misses one. 
and all of Tom Brady's offensive linemen got hurt. And then I think he had to get a two-point conversion at the end, and he didn't come through with a two-point conversion. And the game before that, Antonio Brown had gotten hit by Vontez Perfect, and he was out for the Steelers. And when he's not playing, the Steelers are not anywhere close to the same team. It was like every week something aligned perfectly. And then even in the Super Bowl, the field was trash, so none of their uh, none of the linemen could block for Cam Newton, and then there was a fumble by the Panthers. I think like Mike Tolbert or someone fumbled. There was dropped passes. It was like it was just everything was guiding Peyton Manning to the Super Bowl. And when something like that happens for you the other night, you feel like, man, there is just the luck is going our way, but there's no way to tell if that's going to carry over to Philadelphia. Yeah. What would you say, if having kind of perused around uh, you know, after the game Sunday around Winter Park yesterday, what are some things you're picking up? I think what you mentioned about the team already implementing the 24-hour rule and discussing the things that annoyed them about the second half of the Saints game, that's interesting. What are some other things that would be interesting for fans just kind of behind the scenes the last couple days? What do you mean about just the play or I would say just like reactions of, uh, you know, players discussing it behind the scenes and the general vibe of of the locker room. Well, I think my favorite story was Caleb Jones, the practice squad wide receiver. Is that, who the, is that the guy who was in a like, track suit running down there, jumping like a gazelle? He was the first guy that <laughs> hugged Stephon Diggs, and for a minute he thought that he had drawn a flag from running on the field. And so for that split second in Caleb Jones's mind, he thought, I just ruined the best moment in Minnesota Vikings history. Wow. He thought he was going to get flagged. And then when he saw Diggs throw the helmet, he was like, okay, all right, we won. The game's over. I think I'm okay here. But imagine that, that they score this touchdown and they get flagged for having a guy from the sideline run onto the field. They pull it back. They lose the game. I mean, that would have been the most Minnesota Vikings disaster and ever. Here's the thing. like People rip on the NFL for, I think the NFL probably gets crushed a little bit too much. Like 46 million people watch the end of that game. The NFL may not be quite the ratings juggernaut it was two or three years ago, but the NFL is still very much pumping pumping blood. But where I will rip the NFL, they get so caught up in procedural stuff. Oh, yeah. So the game kicking everyone off the field, right? Like the game ends, and it's the most spectacular finish maybe in postseason history because it's never happened before. And Diggs just full of emotion throws his helmet, and then two things happen after that. Two officials have to sheepishly reach into their pockets and pull out their flags and toss the flags on the ground because that's a penalty, even though the game is over. But it's not really over because here's the second thing. We have to clear all of the media and all of the people on the field and then summon 11 Saints players, including their punter with eight broken ribs, (laughs) to come out for a pointless extra point that Case Keenum is just going to kneel down anyways. Like, don't buzzkill it, NFL. It was a little anticlimactic, but it also created another great moment where Case Keenum started doing the skull chant, sure. and no one had left their seats whatsoever. So it was like, I mean, it feels a little contrived when they do it. I'm not ripping the skull chant. I'm just saying, like, okay, everyone be quiet. Now we've got the big drum. To have it happen organically like that was yes. even louder and even more powerful than it would be if they brought out the big guy with the drum. Yeah. So even though it was ridiculous, I agree. I thought, how are they even going to get all these people off the field? And where did the Saints go? And uh, <laughs> but, but, but then it results in another really cool moment for everybody who went there. And uh, I, I also think just from, from every player down in the locker room, it was interesting to me the reaction from guy to guy to guy. 
how, you know, Kyle Rudolph was very analytical in his breakdown where he was saying, okay, this was my route and this is what happened. And this is, then we saw the safety and all that. And there were other players who just like blacked out with joy <laughs> and had no idea what happened. Anthony, like, like Keenum did. Yeah. Keenum and, and Anthony Barr. I, I asked Anthony Barr what happened on another defensive play. And he's like, I have no idea. I just, he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even talk about it yep. because the third and one stop where Anthony Harris makes a, a tackle is the only reason you have a chance. To, to make that play. That was the, the biggest play. That's the biggest play yeah. of the game that no one's. I mean, obviously, the Diggs play was the biggest play. And, but, Sean, and Sean Payton had a terrible game. Sean, yes, Sean yes. Payton had a terrible but on game. That, but on that third and one, if they if they gain a yard, yes. they then run the clock down to one second, uh, and the game is over. And, it's and they run into Linval Joseph. Yep. And, and it's funny that Anthony Harris makes a great stop. Anthony Harris is good at one thing, and that's run stopping. Mm-hmm. And he's in the game because Andrew Sandejo suffers a concussion. And so Harris, who's very good at going forward and being aggressive in the run, gets behind uh, through a gap and makes that stop in the backfield. And again, yeah, don't run at Linval Joseph. If, that's just if you're if you're going to run that play, if if you insist on that play, then have Breeze take the ball and fall forward. Oh, I agree. Have, yeah, have I agree. your quarterback I, for them on third and one to call that play, and earlier in the game for them on third and one to call a lateral and then a pass to Willie Sneed the fourth is among the dumbest things I've ever seen. Yeah, love the fourth. Have <laughs> have Drew Brees. I mean, have your quarterback just go forward. Yeah. If that or, if, if you're going to insist on going at the nose tackle. Then that gives you the best chance. Or even, I mean, you've got two. You've got a lot of be- options. You have two of the best running backs in the league. How about pitch out to one of them or something like I that? Know. But they were trying at the same time to set up the field goal kicker in the middle. And Linval Joseph told me after the game that he knew that that was going to happen. I mean, that the the entire defense knew that they were going to try and set the kicker up in the middle of the field. And so they had a really good sense but for to your what point, kind of Matthew, play they were going to run. They can kick from the hash marks. Oh, yeah, these guys these are These guys are professional guys are kickers. Fine. They don't need to be in the middle of the field. They're not six years old. In fact, I've always, always kind of thought that that might hurt them a little bit because they never kick from the middle of the field. They're almost always on a hash mark, so kicking from the middle would be like a little awkward, except for maybe the, the extra points change that now. Uh, but... The, the things that had to come together, the reaction in the locker room was, was different from guy to guy. And, you know, I mentioned Harrison Smith moving on very quickly. Other guys were shocked. Other guys just, you know, couldn't talk or were in tears or things like that. I mean, it was um, the most unique locker room I've ever been a part of yeah. because usually, usually there's always a vibe. There's always everybody's kind of on the same page. Whether they're really angry about the loss or whether they're sort of, they won, but they're not impressed with themselves or whether they're super jacked. This was from different sections of the room. There were different reactions. But you know what? The one thing that was all the way through that guys wouldn't say on the record, but off the record, they were saying to each other, they could not believe what Marcus Williams did. Dude, that, they were stunned. I put, I put 50% on just being a bonehead rookie, but also 50% on Sean Payton and the defensive coaching staff. Absolutely. They called a timeout. Yeah. Before that play. Why? Or, or maybe two plays, whatever. What they call the timeout on that series. And for, for that to not be clearly communicated and, and maybe communicated 10 different times. Okay. Don't commit a penalty, but also, so don't headhunt if you're, especially the safeties. And also, if he catches the ball inbounds, just grab him, hold right. him, mm-hmm. and pin him to the ground. Like, I, I mean, I, I think about like, uh, I mean, I, put myself in the situation and say, if I was out there playing safety, wouldn't I just watch him catch the ball and be like, come to daddy and just accept him into my arms. He was pretty far away from the sidelines. I'll tell you what, though. 
Wouldn't that, you do that? Wouldn't you just grab him with both of your yes, arms and fall to the, the ground with him? The end of that game perfectly makes up for 2009. And it's inexplicable what's Favre doing. Oh, Why right. are you throwing back right. into the middle of the damn field? Right. Which Case did, actually, on a, on a play. Twelve, 12 men, though. I, I mean, if you, if you think about the Vikings lost that game largely because of a colossal meltdown. This was the exact same type of meltdown. Oh, and, they, and they had a penalty on a touchdown, too. Illegal motion. I mean... They'll, Saints fans will always remember the Diggs catch and wonder what Marcus Williams was thinking, but they've also got to be saying to themselves, illegal motion took a touchdown off of the board at that point. And all the, you're right, all the stars that had to align, Everson Griffin throwing his arms in the air and having that football bounce off the back of his hand and turn into a touchdown. I mean, at that point right there, Drew Brees was starting to catch fire. And if they score there, I mean, the Vikings do not win the game. Yeah. Let's come back. Matthew Kyler hanging out with us. We have a great email from a Vikings fan from Australia who watched the game in a, in a different time zone and has a, a great story about it. And uh, much more Vikings discussion. Purple Podcast is blowing up. Go go download and subscribe if you haven't checked it out yet. And uh, go read Matthew Kyler's work on 1500ESPN.com. Maggie and Judd will return shortly. When? When will they Probably when you least expect it. On 1500 ESPN. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Scoop podcast with Doogie. The Lynx and Wolves owner, he's a good friend of the podcast, is Glenn Taylor. Let's start with the Lynx, then we'll get to the Wolves. The news from, I guess, late last year, late last month, Cheryl Reeve, general manager, contract extension. I'm guessing, Glenn, pretty much a no-brainer to wrap her up long-term? Well, we've just done with... Uh, Cheryl, uh, you know, like two-year contracts and and just kind of keep moving ahead, and we did the same thing here. Uh, it's something that we've sort of agreed upon that we would just keep moving ahead each year. I mean, is there a thought to even give her a lifetime contract? No, she doesn't want it, and and, and no, we haven't thought about that. But, uh, uh, it, you know, it could be if you keep rolling it out, but I think uh, she's got to look at her scenario, and, and we too, and, and we've been really pleased with her, and this has worked out in the past. You can find the Scoop podcast on the 1500ESPN.com podcast page or on iTunes or really wherever you get your podcasts. I want to read you guys an email real quick here from Ro- Rohan. Rohan. Remember, what was that movie about Zohan? Zohan? No? Dave, no. did you ever see that? Remember the Zohan or something? Uh, Adam Sandler movie, Adam right? Sandler, yeah. You don't yeah. mess with the Zohan? You don't mess with the Zohan. Yeah, I didn't see it. Don't not, mess with the not Rohan. Not a Sandler hit, I take oh. it? Uh, there's not many Sandler hits, and those that were came a long time ago. Yeah, they were good. It was on the, the, the downslide, I think, that Zohan movie, yeah. Remember the Rohan, though? That's the email movie that came in here. He says, hi, guys. I know I'm a day late. I'm in Australia, so I listen to the show via the podcast, but I may have an interesting answer to the question you asked about where were you for the Viking Saints game. With the time difference for the game, um, I had to leave for work 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, so I recorded the rest of the game. To be absolutely sure I wouldn't have the score told to me, I turned my phone off for the whole day, ate my lunch in my car in case the score was mentioned on the TV in the lunchroom at work, and spoke to as few people as possible. It was the longest nine or so hours of my life waiting to go home and watch the ending. And as they say, the rest is history. My reaction to the Diggs touchdown was a combination of Everson's Griff- Everson Griffin's interview with Josina Anderson and Phil's expression on the Facebook live stream of Vikings Ventline. Love the show. So uh, from Australia, he had to avoid 
all results in human contact for nine hours. That's I, great. I think we have all tried that at one point or another and failed every single time. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not going to look at the front page of the paper. I'm not. I'm going to tell people that I run into. Don't tell me the score. But it never works. I mean, you always end up bumping into it, especially with uh, social media. So yeah. I I salute you, sir. That's I, impressive. I think that the most fun thing about this entire digs catch is is hearing the stories now, like where people were. And, I got another one if and you recounting want. it. I it's just it's so it's so interesting the the reaction and like I was trying to ignore it or this one. Uh, ooh, good segue there. Thank you. Max emails in. Yes, he is. Max emails in from Seattle. This past Sunday, I chose to watch the game at my uncle's house, who was also born and raised in Minnesota. Though over the past 10 years, he's identified as a Seahawks fan. Unlike him, my blood has been purple since birth. I will remain that way, always. Uh, I, too, like many, didn't witness the last play of the game. After the false start penalty on first down, with sweaty hands and a shaky posture, I looked up at him and said, I can't do this. The look on his face was, are you sure? Needless to say, three minutes down the road, my phone started blowing up. It was my aunt screaming on the other line. They won, I swear to God. I immediately said, no, wait, what? I have to call you back. As soon as I hopped the phone, I began sobbing uncontrollably in my car. The tears haven't stopped. Not only did I continue to cry watching all the fan reactions online until the wee hours of the morning, but I started my day listening back to your podcast, where I ended up again breaking down in my car <laughs> on my way to work this morning. That's awesome. All things said, thanks for doing what you guys do. Uh, here's to taking down Philadelphia next week and bringing it home. Uh, hashtag I bleed purple. That's awesome. And we've been getting, we've been reading all your emails. We don't have time to read all of them on the air, but these are, we see them and we appreciate it. That's I, awesome. I feel very much about these fan reactions like I feel about people who like boating. Like, I have no interest in going out on a boat. It terrifies me. But I love sitting at the side of the uh, water and watching everyone go wee across, the, right? Like, that's one of my favorite things to be at the beach or to be at a lake. Observer of life, Matthew sit Collard. On the <laughs> sidelines and watch everybody enjoy their boating life. And it's the same thing with this. Uh, uh, you know, of course, other radio shows looking for guests called me because I'm the Vikings reporter yesterday. So I think I did like seven or eight of these things because it's being talked about everywhere. I was in Canada three different times. Boom. And uh, every one of them, every one of them asked, so what was your reaction? I was like, well, I mean, I said to Judd, wow, what a play. And then we started like talking about how we're going to write about it. We have the least interesting reactions ever, but these are so fun to take in and watch. They never get old. I think the thing is, I, I'm not a huge fan now, but I can identify. I mean, I love the Cubs in 84. I love the North Stars. So I get, I get the reaction. The one thing, having grown up here and been a Vikings fan at one time too, for me, is these people have been through so much. You can't help but feel good. Mm-hmm. Like it was seeing that in the jubilation and people crying and players crying. That is really, really cool. Because it's not like, okay, that, that was one, uh, one great play, but you had a great play two years ago and you're going to have a great play next year. I mean, for the Vikings, this doesn't happen. For these people, this does not happen. Yeah, no. And then, yeah. in fact, we were, we started the show off talking about the significance of the play itself in a vacuum with no other context as a standalone play. It's one of the most unique and greatest and most memorable in NFL history. Just that it's never happened in a postseason game. Over time, you get walk-offs, obviously. It's sudden death. But I said this to Judd. If you think about the historical context and meaning of this play, 
I give you two examples that are pretty far apart in terms of how they're remembered on the, the list of greatest plays of all time. The catch, Joe Montana to yeah. Dwight Clark, yeah. which is widely regarded right next to the Immaculate Reception as one of the defining plays in NFL history. And then I'll give you the Music City Miracle, which if you take... Of course you would. Yeah, I'm sorry. Buffalo, Yeah, I don't mean to dig in the knife here. But if you take degree of difficulty, Montana had 58 seconds left. It was actually third and three from the six-yard line. So if that pass sails out of the back of the end zone, it's fourth and three. They can even get like four yards and a first down, then run more plays, and there's 50 seconds left. There's a lot of things that could happen even if you don't complete that pass. Degree of difficulty, the Tennessee Titans had 16 seconds left. We're down by one. I think they were out of timeouts. So they had they had to go. Like, you got to do something. Um, but, and I'm not advocating for the Music City Miracle to be above the catch. I'm saying the catch is above the Music City Miracle because of what happened after it. The 49ers won their yeah. first championship. And then they went on to go 15 years of a dynasty. And the Titans got beat in the Super Bowl a couple weeks later by the the St. Louis Rams. The Music City Miracle is a far, far more improbable play than either of those two, though. I mean, by a million miles. Mm -hmm. There was a guy from SB Nation who did an analysis of every time teams had tried to throw laterals. And between the Music City Miracle and now, only one other time has a team scored a touchdown when they threw all the laterals. Do you remember? I, I do. It was the Saints, uh-huh. and they missed the extra point that would have sent them to the playoffs. Correct, and I believe it was against the Jaguars. Right? I, I, think, I can't remember I think, the opponent, I, but I yeah. think it was. Yeah, it was Week it, Seventeen. It, was, it yeah. was ludicrous. I mean, they threw it all over the place, and uh, I don't know. There were several plays that probably could have been uh, replayed to see if a guy's knee was down. It was insane. It was it was far <laughs> more throws than just the one, and way more improbable. But I mean, the fact that. Not just in the playoffs, but in any regular season game, that that hadn't happened from the Music City Miracle to now more than once. I mean, throwing a pass at the end of a game and having a guy run for a touchdown happened in Week 17 with Cincinnati. I mean, Mike Zimmer brought it up yesterday when he was with the Bengals. They had that one in the opening week of the season where it was tipped to Brandon Stokely at the last second, and they ran for a touchdown. I mean, it does happen much more often. I think the estimated odds were... 2.6%, 2.6%, which I thought, well, that's a little higher than I would have expected, actually. Um, that's not to take away from the craziness of what happened. It's extremely unusual. Um, usually you get maybe a shot at a last-second field goal there. But I look at the Music City Miracle for playoff history as the most improbable play to happen. Yeah, this play this play is a really, really cool play. And it's go, it's going to be a play that 20 years from now, if I say Stefan Diggs, you say this play. Yeah. But what I told Phil is this. If this now gets paid off with a championship, it's a franchise-defining play oh, that, that begins to erase or does Anderson's miss, Favre's pick, Walsh's miss. I mean, we'll, we'll always talk about those things, but if the Diggs play now results in a Super Bowl championship, yep. the entire light in which we see this franchise immediately pivots. The way I would put it is it'll be a statue. Like yep. so, somewhere at U.S. Bank Stadium, outside U.S. Bank Stadium, outside U.S. Right. Bank Stadium, Stephon Diggs going up for that catch or throwing his helmet, whichever one will be a statue. And also, by the way, just I just 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 let me pimp this a little bit, pimp this home run. Stephon Diggs is still one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. If you played fantasy, I'm sorry he had a groin injury in the middle of the year. But in terms of contested catches, he was number one in the NFL. Completion percentage, contested catches. He is an unstoppable wide receiver. And the fact that they decided to put Marshawn Lattimore on Adam Thielen, 
I think was a mistake. I mean, Thielen is a great, great wide receiver, and they're one and one A for sure. They're both superstar players. Yeah. But I would have put Lattimore on Stephon Diggs because this game screamed Stephon Diggs is going to kill you. And the fact that when at the end of the game they throw the ball up and it's a safety who's got to make a play on him and not the best cornerback you have, I think that was an error by them. Matthew Collar talking Vikings, Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Oh, I apologize. I forgot you were there. You may go now. On 1500 ESPN. How much do you guys worry? If the, if this was college football, I would say big letdown about to happen. Where the you upset the number one team in the country, and you got to come back the next week against a good opponent, and you get and you just fall behind twenty one to three or something. Is the letdown factor a thing here, or is is a Mike Zimmer coached team? Just so tunnel vision focused on what's what's to come that it's not going to matter. I do not think that they will have any problems in that area because of the number of professionals that they have. And I, I mean, you expect everyone to act professionally if they're on a professional football team, but it is definitely not the case when yeah. it comes to getting 53 guys on the same page. You have so many veterans. You have so many superstars. You have so many guys that look at that game as soon as they wake up Monday as in the past and on to the next one that I wouldn't expect that, though I would say this just for everybody else, like, do not underestimate the Philadelphia Eagles because they're saying basically the same things of our supporting cast for this quarterback is so good, mm-hmm. our defense is so good, and we get to play this game at home. And if you saw that field, it is a bucket of garbage, that field. It's just trash. The Falcons, I think, beat them by two touchdowns if they are not sliding all over the place. And it's going to be wet on Sunday, right? I think it's supposed to be around 50 in Philly and wet. I would actually make an argument that that with a Zimmer coach team, I think this helps. I think that this, I think the way that game came to a conclusion yeah. against the Saints helps because it's easier now for him to go in and say, okay, boys, we did it now. But but this might be a temptation not to focus. It gives you more reason to. And I would also say this. This team to me, and Collar has certainly been around them more than me, this team to me seems to be sort of one of those weird teams where it's like that that year in high school you don't want to end. It's just a fantastic year. And you're like, let's just keep keep it going. Keenum did something for the Players' Tribune on Friday about this, and I think he's he's dead right. He's like, this is just so much fun. They get along. Yep. I think it's a good group of guys. So I actually think that the way that that game came to a conclusion on Sunday helps them as far as their potential focus goes. And I was thinking the other day about the moment when the captains were brought in to meet with Mike Zimmer to talk about the quarterback situation. And they all decided collectively, this is Everson Griffin and Terrence Newman, Harrison Smith, I'm missing somebody, but uh, Riley Reef. So he brought them in to ask them what they thought about the quarterback situation, and they voted to have Case Keenum continue as the quarterback because they had been winning with him as opposed to turning to Teddy Bridgewater. Now, whether they made the right decision or not, uh, you know, I mean, I guess they get this playoff moment, but we'll see as we go toward the Super Bowl here. Um, but that's one of those things where, A, it's Mike Zimmer changing the way he did business, I think in a, in a major positive way, but it's also the team coming together at that moment. Not that they weren't before because they knew they were good before, but I think at that point, it's Mike Zimmer handing the power to the players and saying, you make this decision, you guys are behind him or you're not, 
and they all said we are behind him. And now they've they've had I think the strongest locker room by far yeah. that I have ever been around in my life. And I and I go from player to player to player. Somebody asked me yesterday, like, oh, are these guys as cocky as the Jaguars? <laughs> no, they're the exact opposite <laughs> of the Jaguars. These guys are assassins. They're not like. They're not guys who are slam dunking and dancing after, which is fine and I like, but they're, they're guys who hit a cold-blooded three and then just walk back down the court. Yeah, the Jaguars are a bunch of James Bonds where they're like, they're gonna, they're gonna taunt you before they kill you and then they're gonna kill you and have some like quippy line and they're gonna, you know, they're flashy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, you're right. The Vikings don't have anyone who's gonna come out. Like the most boisterous Vikings defensive players are Everson Griffin, who's just, yeah. Happy go lucky and happy to be alive. He's not the the most he trash talked all year was like the De, the Detroit Lions tackle once. He said, yeah, yeah the guys they call him a turnstile or something. Uh, lazy. Yeah, called him said, lazy. He said he was lazy. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's really it, right? And he's and he didn't do that again with anybody else, which makes me think. Oh that yeah, he probably, got called in. Probably Zimmer said, okay, that's cute, and I love you, but yeah. don't do that. I again. mean, Harrison <laughs> Smith is so nondescript and such a quiet assassin. He didn't even make the Pro Bowl. What was that's why yeah. he didn't make the Pro Bowl. Yeah. What was the Smith line that I think Zimmer talked about yesterday? Where he said something to to Smith about opponents, and Smith said, "Every opponent scares me. That's why I play so hard all the time." Yeah, it's a great quote. But I mean, that's that's the reflection of th- this team. They don't trash talk. You have the feeling that for the most part, they respect their opponents. They're actually scared, but because they're scared and they're good, they're more dangerous. I, I think that the hitman for Harrison Smith is one of the greatest and per- most perfect nicknames that I've ever heard because that is one hundred percent his mentality. That, that that he is exactly what you envision when you think of a of a dude standing in a room quiet putting together his gun kills the guy and just walks out and never thinks about it again like that's how he is in the locker room and it's crazy with some of these guys they're superstar players i mean highly paid 50 million dollar guys and on a Friday, when everybody else is kind of letting their hair down a little bit, Harrison Smith has got his iPad over in the corner and he's still watching stuff. I mean, it is it is unbelievable. They go. Terrence Newman leads extra uh, film sessions himself for all the other corners. So even though they've already done their work with Jerry Gray, they've already done their work with Mike Zimmer. Newman wants them to look at more stuff. Yeah. After that, that's a little like you know, people always talked about Brett Favre and all these other ways like this. You know. Per- Brett Favre was always the last guy, the the first guy in, last guy out, and kind of set that tone for the 2009 team. He'd yeah. go back in. Yeah, I mean, he'd be there till 10 hours, o'clock. And he'd it. go back. Of course, then he threw a you know franchise-altering interception in the, the most crucial moment of the season against the Saints. But, that, the, you know, the Gruden sit-down, I'm going to miss Gruden a lot. Gruden's my kind of guy. Spider Y2 banana, I got that tattooed on my back. Uh, but, I mean, really, like, his sit-downs with quarterbacks are incredible, and I loved what you guys played with the Case Keenum yesterday. His sit-down with Favre, the one thing you take away, Favre, he showed Favre a clip of film from 1994, and Favre knew all the reads and calls on that play. Mm-hmm. This is like, this guy has unbelievable knowledge of the game, and that's that's how I would describe this Vikings team, is they're incredibly talented, but this is the smartest bunch of people I've ever been around. Yeah. They just know their sport, and... You know, Stefan Diggs is, is one of the guys that's at the top of that list, and his hard work pays ends up paying off for him to get that moment. Super fun uh, to follow this playoff run and the coverage that Matthew Collar's pumping out on 1500ESPN.com and what these guys are doing on the Purple Podcast. Go so check much it out. podcasting. Get in. We had a record number of downloads for, like, Ventline the other day, too, just people crying on live radio. It was, it was fun. Great. So.